I'm going to be reading pastor's text for him this morning. So if you go ahead and stand for the reading of the word. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 4 through 22. 1 Samuel 4 verses 4 through 22. And this is what it says. So the people sent to Shiloh that they may bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts which dwelt between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the Ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews." As they have been to you, quit yourselves like men and fight. And when the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with the earth upon his head. And when he came low, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, what meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am... He that came out of the army, and I fled to the day out of the army. And he said, What there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell from the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his net brake, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. About the, and about that time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying that glory of the Lord departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. Let us pray. Lord, your presence is powerful in this place. Let us not take you for granted, Lord, and let us not settle. Let's go after the more that you have for us, God. And I pray, God, you bless this sermon today. I pray you would speak to this congregation. I pray you speak to these people, God. And we take your word, Lord Jesus, and we put it in our hearts, Lord. Let us hide it, Lord, and let us apply it in the name of Jesus. We just ask, Lord, your blessings upon our pastor this morning, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
If you have your decree with you, we're going to decree before I begin to, or declare before I begin to preach this morning. You don't have to stand. If you want to stand, you can if it makes you feel better, because many of you have already um, sat down. But we're going to put that up on the screen, and we're going to make our declaration every single Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, because this is what, who we are and what God has predestined for our lives. So you ready to declare? Amen. Say this with me. Lord, today, by faith, we declare that we're walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now give him praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. This morning we're going to be preaching in line with our theme called Presence. How many likes the theme this morning? Do you like the theme called Presence, the presence of the Lord? Last week we talked about the value of God's presence, but this morning we're going to take a little bit of time and preach to you about the perception of God's presence. Perceptions can be false and they can be real and they can either destroy or they can edify and build up. Perceptions can be good or they can be bad. Everything hinges on our perception. A perception is the process of becoming aware of something through our senses. Many times we come in and we sense the presence of God. We become aware of the presence of God. We have a perception that he's in a house, and at other times we don't even have a clue that he's anywhere around. But a perception, again, is the process of becoming aware of something through our senses. And it's odd to me how that a crowd can view the same situation or set of circumstances, but when they're interviewed, many times they have a different perception of what actually took place. Some kind of happening can happen around an altar. You go out through the congregation and you take out 10 people or 15 people and you begin to ask them what their perception was and many times you'll find that many have different opinions of what took place. A perception can be influenced by a false narr narrative created by negative happenings that exist during the time that, that the mind begins to try to form its opinion. And most Perceptions are formed not necessarily by what we actually see or what actually happened, but by the state of mind that we are in when we actually see it. Now remember that. That's very important. The problem is so much of the time we view things not by how they appear, but how we view it through the lens of how we feel at the time that we see it. We see things many times not by the way that they are, but by the way we are. And so much of the time it's the state of mind that you're in that forms you your perception and we've got to watch out for that because what you feel and what you see at the time may not be able to see exactly what is actually taking place. It is vitally 
important of how we form a perception because they set the course of our belief. Our perceptions form the route to our destiny because it's our belief that drives us both good or both bad. Your destiny will be determined by what you perceive to be true regardless if it's true or not. Haven't you heard people say this? I don't care what they say. I know what I feel. This is when a false feeling overrides evidence and it forms its own opinion. And then it negates any sense of reality and it aborts truth and then people begin to begin to believe a lie and they become damned. So much of the time what we feel determines what we see instead of seeing how it actually is. Can I have an amen? It's our own mindset. It's our own state of mind of where we're at. If you're a negative person, sometimes you can see something happen and the first thing that'll happen is it'll be a negative event. You can have a positive person and he sees it, he'll see it in a positive light. It's the matter of your own mindset a lot of times that determines your perception. Here in our text, I want to reveal to you how a whole nation was driven by a false narrative that caused them to miss their destiny with God for only over 20 years. And let me tell you, your perception is important because it is either going to make you or it's going to break you. It's going to bring you into your destiny or it's going to cause you to miss your destiny. It's either going to birth your promise or it's going to abort your promise. So the way you see things by the lens of faith and through the lens of the scripture is vitally important. Our text reveals one of the darkest days in Israel's history. I want you to notice verse 19 with me. And his, talking about Eli the priest, daughter-in-law, Phineas, wife, was with child near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed for her pains had come upon her. I want to explain this verse of scripture for just a little bit. On this particular day, there stood a widow that heard the news of the death of three of her family members. The news had came that her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and that her husband was killed. The nation was not only mourning due to the death of her family because they were the leaders of Israel. But on that day, there were hundreds of different widows also mourning as well due to the scores of soldiers that were killed. And not only were them people mourning, but there were other women mourning due to the wounded soldiers that were wounded during war that possibly would die. So the whole nation was in mourning. The whole nation was in travail. The highlight of this scene was this unnamed widow, however. Here she is having to be supported by two handmaidings, not for the reason of the death of her husband alone. You've been to funerals where the, the those that have lost their loved ones escorted and helped by somebody. Well, that is not the only reason that these two handmaidens were helping her, but we also have to understand she was nine months pregnant. This woman was mentally and spiritually depleted with no life seemed to be in her at all. She was totally overcome by her grief, by her pain, and by her sorrow. In one casket lay her 98-year-old father-in-law, Eli, the high priest of Israel. In another casket laid her, uh, her uh, uh, brother-in-law, Hophni, who was a priest. But the one casket that she mourned over the most
Ghost would be the body of her husband Phineas, the father of her soon born child. Here her own husband died before her child was ever birthed. At this moment of time in Israel's history, a great calamity had been fallen the nation. A few days earlier, the Israelite army had gone out to fight against the Philistines and they had been overwhelmed by their enemy. Some 30,000 men were killed in battle, including Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. When Eli, the priest, had received word that the enemy had captured the Ark of the Covenant and that his two sons were killed, Eli had been, I mean, uh, Phinehas had been killed and Hophni had been killed. The Bible says that when he heard that, that he fell backward from his seat and he died from a broken neck. He broke his neck and he died. This would be symbolic that there would be a different neck that would turn the head of this nation. It was an indicator that new leadership was on its way to Israel. That's what it was saying. Scripture suggests that this unnamed widow of Phineas had a measure of the, a measure of love for the things of God. She was actually a spiritual woman. She had a respect for the presence of the Lord and she was very much grieved over the loss of the Ark of the Covenant to the hands of the Philistines because the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol and all of Israel knew it. It was a symbol of the presence of God that would be with that nation. It was a symbol of favor, of prosperity, of rest, and of peace. And this little lady, she sought for that her whole life. She wanted the nation to come into its destiny. She was a woman that wanted the things of God to happen in the ministry of her, her uh, father-in-law and her, and her husband and her brother-in-law. Due to her reverence to the presence of God, she also grieved of how God's house had fallen into apathy and greed under her father-in-law's ministry. Eli was the high priest and he regularly turned a blind eye to all kinds of the sins of his sons. Matter of fact, we are told that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, took a three-pronged hook and ate whatever meat that they brought out of a pot that was offered up to animals. And this was in contradiction with the law of the priest who were commanded to only eat breast in the upper thigh of the animals according to the book of Leviticus 7, verse 30 through 34. These priests, all they could eat would be the breast or the upper thigh, but they would get a big three-pronged hook and just jab it in there and whatever come out, they would eat it in defiance to the law of God. They also ate raw meat that had been not cooked according to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. And this was against God's commandment for the priests who were not to eat anything that had blood in it according to the law in Leviticus 17 and 12. So they were in defiant to the very laws of God, but that wasn't all that they'd done. Eli's own son Hophni was a wicked priest who committed fornication with the, within the walls of God's house right in the very tabernacle itself. He had sexual intercourse with women in the house of God. Can you imagine that? Phineas was also a backslidden, adulterous priest whose rampant lust continually brought shame upon the temple by having sexual relationships with the women who served within the tabernacle. So it was a lust-driven, adulterous-driven ministry that was taking place, and Eli, the high priest, knew it and put up with it. It did not bring any kind of reproof to his children. And for years, his sorrowful wife, here's Phineas's wife, had to live with the prophetic warning ringing in her ears, delivered by an unknown prophet to the house of Eli. Here comes an unknown prophet. We don't know his name. We don't know anything about him. But he comes in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 33 and verse 34. 
34 and listen to what this prophet says to the high priest of Israel, Eli. He says, all the increase of thy house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. This is what God says, Eli, I want you to know because of your hypocrisy, because of you not correcting your sons, because you being the leader and not dealing with problems, and especially being your family, your own household, he said, I'm going to bring judgment upon your ministry. And he said, what's going to happen? He said, your sons are going to die in the flower of their age while they're young. They're not going to live to be old. And he says, not only that, when they die, they're going to die the very same day. They're going to both be killed in one day. Did that not come to pass? Yes, that came to pass in the text that we read you. I want you to imagine with me the incredible pain this widow carried with her to the upcoming grave. Her husband had seduced women in the temple, women whom she had probably ministered to and even had prayed for. Can you imagine that? The ministry was totally lust-driven, full of greed, and apathetic toward the things of God. The Lord's true prophets had warned for years of the impending judgment that was going to come upon Eli's priesthood because of his hypocrisy. The people had grown disillusioned because of the hypocrisy within the ministry. The nation began to begin to uh, uh, begin to go down in its values and in its standards. Now calamity was breaking forth on all sides. You know what began to happen? They began to reap what they sowed. It had caught up with them. For years they thought they were getting by with it. Month after month they were having their pleasure and thinking nothing's going to happen. We're in charge. No one's going to do anything to us. Daddy's boss. But all of a sudden God says enough's enough. Be not mocked folks. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. It'll catch up with you. If you sow to the flesh, you shall reap of the flesh corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you shall reap of the spirit everlasting life. There's nothing hidden that shall not be made known. There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. If you don't get things under the blood, judgment will come to the house. Can I have an amen? And that's exactly what happened to the sons of Eli. And worst of all, Israel's enemies had confiscated the ark, which represented the very presence of God. If there's one thing I want you to know, we need to protect the presence of God in our midst. We got to have presence. Can I have an amen? If you love the presence of God, would you just worship him in thinking and not take him for granted here this morning? Hallelujah. Help me preach, Lord. Hallelujah to the presence of the Lord in the house. Now, in this poor widow's mind, the Lord's enemies had triumphed over Israel this day. All around her, the church was in ruins. The, the nation was stripped of hope. The temple had been destroyed. There were literally nothing left for anyone to look forward to except judgment, despair, and spiritual famine. Everywhere she looked, it was a negative report. Not only did this woman have the church on her mind, the ministry on her mind, the nation on her mind, but she also had to carry her own personal pain of her husband's uh, adulterous betrayals in her heart. She had to face the very women that had these adulterous affairs with her husband as they stared her in the face throughout that nation. She had to face her conflict, her enemies, and the things that had brought her personal hurt and grief and pain. And not only that, she's bearing a child. She's nine months pregnant. Her hormones are out her head. She, you know how it is, ladies, when you're nine months pregnant. You're miserable. That in itself is a lot to 
carry, but she's got all of this other weight upon her shoulders. Everywhere she turned, there was a constant reminder of sin, hopelessness that mocked her and ridiculed her. Maybe not with words, they probably never said a word to her, but with images and the whispers that rumbled around the temple and the public knowledge that was known throughout the land. You know, she knew they were talking about her. She knew they were talking about her husband. She knew that the blame of the judgment was upon her household, and it was the blame. It was because of their wickedness that judgment came. And the whole nation knew it was because of the apostasy and the hypocrisy of the ministry of Eli's and his two sons that the Ark of the Covenant was stripped from them and judgment had been fallen upon that nation. And here she is representing that house. Can you imagine? Here she is left by herself facing these Israelites who were putting the blame upon her family. In her, our text, we see her going to have to bury her loved ones. And suddenly she collapses as she goes into labor. Look at 1 Samuel 4, verse 19 and 20. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, this is the reason that this come upon her. She bowed herself and travailed for her pain had come upon her. And the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. Now I want us to see how important it is to keep your mind in the midst of your problems. Are you listening to me? You as a believer have to keep your mind in the midst of your problems. Don't let your eyes tell your mind what to think. Let your mind tell your eyes what to see. It's vitally important. If you allow your eyes to tell your mind what to think, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be driven by a sense of things that seem to appear that may not be reality. Are you with me? But you're to have the mind of Christ. Therefore, you are to put on the mind of the Lord and allow your mind to tell your eyes what to see. Everybody else seen Goliath as a giant against David. But David did not see Goliath in the same eyes that everybody else seen him. He said, you Philistine, who are you to defile the armies of the living God? I want you to know this day I'll have your head cut off. He was not afraid of the giant. And you and I cannot allow the things that's going on in our lives dictate to us our belief system. If you do, you'll be destroyed. You have to appropriate the word of God and allow the word of God to be the governing rule of your mind to tell your body and your eyes what to see and what to act out. Give the Lord praise for that. Amen. If we're not careful, we can allow problems to destroy promise, difficulties to stop deliverance, situations create setbacks, and circumstances create chaos. Even though there was a prophetic word that predicted the downfall and the ruins of Eli's priesthood, the destruction of it, yet there was also, folks, a lot of good hopeful prophetic promises that were spoken over Israel as a nation as well. Even though there was a prophetic word that said, Eli, you're going to be destroyed in your priesthood, yet to the nation there was prophetic promises of hope. And the good could not come until the bad was removed. There's a lot of things that have to be removed for the, before the God can move himself. If you want the presence of God, you may have to clean your house out. Can I have an amen? Notice the response of this little widow woman 
on receiving word of her husband and her family's death, she began to go into labor pain. She begins to deliver this child. The women there that day surrounded her, and they begin to encourage her, and this is what they say. Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. Now, you have to understand, for her to have a male child, a son, meant that the priesthood of Israel was not over. Are you ready for me? Listen to this. The women were trying to encourage her that on the very heels of the fulfillment of prophecy over the house of Eli of destruction, yet the prophetic promise over Israel as a nation would also be birthed in that very day. This would not be the end of Israel as she thought, as this little widow woman had begun to believe, but it was a new day, it was a new promise, it was a new beginning for Israel. Are you ready? In the very hour that death was experienced, a child was born and life had sprung up. These women tried to portray the message and encourage her that there was hope now, that more hope than ever before because there was a new beginning with this baby boy. Hallelujah. The old was being buried, but the new was being birthed. Now watch this. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Sometimes I'm afraid that we cannot go on with our future because we've not learned how to bury our past. Amen? Too many people are allowing their past to dictate to them their future. Get over your past. That's exactly what it is. It's the past. And the second thing, sometimes we're not willing to bury the old so that we can experience something new. We want to make something out of the old that God never expected us to make out of it. It's not our destiny that defined us. I want you to know what God done in your past cannot compare to what he wants to do in your future. So bury your past so that you can birth something new in your womb for the future. Can I have it? I'm tired of Christians living in the past. Talking about the good old days, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah, they were wonderful. But today's wonderful. Amen. Everybody says, well, if it worked, why change it? Well, the old Model T worked, but thank God I come with cruise control and air conditioning to church. Amen. Some times, in order to get to something new, the old has to die. It has to be forsaken. Sometimes you got to bury the old so that the new can be birthed. Because God can't birth nothing new in your midst if you keep hanging on to the old. Amen? There had to be a change in structure. Eli had to be taken out. There had to be a change in ministry. The priest had to be changed. Hophni and Phineas, it could not go. God can't bless sin. Are you listening to me? You want in God's presence? If there's sin in the house, he can't bless the house. There had to be a change in leadership. There had to be a change in the way that things were done. These women seen that God had not bypassed her for all of her faithfulness. This woman was faithful. And God, just because the family was cursed, because the family had come under judgment, yet judgment stayed from her. And you say, well, how did it stay from her? Her son did not die. Hello? They saw that amidst all of her death and chaos, fresh hope was on the way, but there was a serious problem. Phineas's widow had already convinced herself that the Lord had abandoned her and that life as she knew it was over. How many have probably felt the way that she would have felt? Of course, let's look at ourselves in the natural. Father-in-law's dead. Brother-in-law's dead. Husband's dead. The priesthood's gone. Everything you've been used to the being in the upper crust of leadership 
The church is in ruins. The nation's in ruins. The Ark of the Covenant stolen. You're nine months pregnant. You're by yourself. Oh, my goodness. She looked at it and said, the way I know life, living around the temple, being a part of the priesthood's family, having the rule of the leadership, and having been in reigns around the upper crest, the upper shallot of Israel. Oh, yeah, everything in the world has changed in her life. She thought the best days of her life was behind her and that she had no future. That's what she thought. Now, I want you to get this. I'm going to say it slow because the Holy Spirit gave it to me. She could not judge by the evidences that laid before her, but she could only judge things by the way she viewed them or by the way that she felt. She went on more of what she felt than the evidence that stared her in the face. And let me tell you, I don't care how bad things in your life is. If you'll look around you, there's the evidences of God's presence and grace all around you. Hallelujah. So much of the time we come in here and we flop down and because of our mindsets of the things that has formed hurt in our lives, we come in and we flop down and but we perceive God to judge us the way we judge ourselves. And we live in false condemnation and guilt and we sit there and we feel like that God does not love us, that God is not for us and we, say, we begin to go through all the things where we have failed miserably and we begin to go through all of the things where uh, bad things has happened to us and then all of a sudden we flop down and we cannot believe that God will move on our behalf in our present circumstance. Are you with me? Here she allowed a false narrative to form in her by ignoring evidence and succumbing to circumstance. She's seen things not as they actually were, but she's seen things through the lens of how she felt. God help us. The women gave her evidences of a hopeful future by saying this. Fear not, for you're born a son. But listen to what she says out of her own mouth in verse 20, or what it says about her. It says, but she answered not, it says. She didn't say a word, neither did she regard it. Now, I looked up the word regard in the Hebrew. In this verse, it's a powerful word in the Hebrew that means the feelings of the intellect. So what's that telling us? It means that she could not consent to what was said. Not too long ago, I was standing in a Walmart line with John Sells. It's been several years ago. And she told me, she said, it will be so much money, $7.48 or whatever. So I give her $10.48. And um, or I give her $5.48 and it was $7.48. And I'm thinking I gave her a 10. And she said, yes, sir, uh, that'll be... Uh, $7.48, I said, look, I'm giving you $10.48. She shows me the five, and I got this mental block. And before long, I'm sitting there going, look, lady, and I'm just bang, bang, and finally John shoves me out of the way, gives the woman the money, and says, Kent, it's $7.48, you only gave her five. And finally, it got into my mind. I could not see truth by the mindset that I already, I couldn't hear a word she was saying because I already had it in my mind what I gave her. And she's trying to tell me, you didn't give me that. Amen. We come to the house of God and God gives us all kinds of benefits. God gives us all kinds of evidences and we sit there with a made up mind of already how we feel and we cannot receive the things of God based upon a negative narrative that we bought into and a mindset robs us from being blessed of the Holy Spirit. 
Oh, God help us. Amen? She could not come to the state of belief because her heart could not receive it due to the pain and the hurt that she embraced. She had a shutdown of emotions that caused her not to be able to handle or to be aware of the possibilities of a good promise. I want everybody in this building to know, you know what I feel like? I know this in my spirit, that there's been people brought here this morning with what they predict as unhopeful futures, broken promises, impossible situations. And you've walked in here this morning with a mindset saying, I'll just have to take my losses because there's no way that I'm going to be blessed in this situation. And God has sent you by for me to tell you, would you quit looking at the negatives around you and open your eyes? God has deemed you to be here to hear a message that he's going to work something out in your future that's going to blow your mind because God loves you and has not cast you off from you. Who, from, from you. He is closer than what you think he is. <laughs> Hallelujah. God loves you. He said he'd stick close to you as a brother would. He'd never leave or forsake you. She had a shutdown, though, to where she could not believe in the promising future. The pain in her most inner being was stronger than the thought of the intellectual knowledge that she had of the promise that literally hung over Israel. She couldn't embrace truth. She could not perceive truth. She could not embrace faith. I want to tell you, we have to be people of faith. She couldn't receive the thought of the promise of her son because she was afraid it'd be just more of the same, just death, judgment. She couldn't face any more rejection, any more hurt, any more disappointment. So she shoved it out of her mind and she would not regard it as truth. Some people say, it's easy for you to get up and preach because God blesses you, but God ain't gonna bless me. It'll happen for you, but it won't happen for me. Yes, it will. But you gotta believe this caused the woman to form a wrong perception that aborted promise. Not only did she bury her husband that day, but I want to tell you she birthed her living son. I mean, she buried her living son as well. She buried her promise. She buried it in the seat of her emotions, not in a grave. Though promise was alive, yet it was ignored and not seen. Therefore, it was rendered ineffective due to it not being accepted. I want to say it again. This is important because this is where we're at. Though promise was alive, it existed in their midst, yet it was ignored and not seen. Therefore, it was rendered ineffective due to it not being accepted. And the problem with us a lot of times, promise is in our midst, but it's not being effective because we've ignored it and not sensed it as reality for our own lives. We've allowed the negative attitudes and the negative situations and the problems and the difficulties and the hurt regulate us to the point that we feel like that we have no value and that God has cast us off and all we can look forward to is now a broken future. Oh, God help us. So the next thing we see her doing, guess what she done? She cursed her promise. Look at verse 21. She named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory of God is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken because her father-in-law and her husband was dead. 
Now she said this because her father-in-law was dead and her husband was dead. Notice when you just hear the word Ichabod, you kind of shudder, don't you? Because of the meaning of his name. Even to this day, his name is not repeated very much. I don't know of any boy that I've ever heard of called Ichabod. Anybody know anybody called Ichabod? I've wanted to call some people Ichabod before. Amen. But due to the ugliness and the vileness of his name, no one wants to name their child Ichabod. His name literally means the glory of God has departed. That's what it means. And we think this is a metaphor or an object lesson that God's given to Israel. We think this because we know that God brought judgment. We know that God will God, that sin will separate us from God. And even though all that's true, yet those of us that believe that God named him this to give Israel an object lesson, you know what we've done? We've allowed the circumstances that clouded Israel to give us a wrong perception just like the little woman had a wrong perception. We have accepted barrenness when birth stared them in the face. We've accepted death when life had sprung up. God help us. Notice that it wasn't God that called him Ichabod, but he was called that by his mother's own admission. She was so overwhelmed by grief and so numb that she was past feeling of any hope. She had a meltdown. Have you ever had a meltdown? I've had meltdowns. She had shut down emotionally due to the adultery of her husband, the violation of the temple, the ruin of the tabernacle, the lavish lifestyle of her family, and the death of those she loved. Tragedy after tragedy had formed her into a hurt, bitter woman that is full of pain and rejection. And I want to tell you, there's been times I've come into this sanctuary wounded, hurt, bitter, not understanding what all has taken place, going through trials, facing temptation, going through some of the ugliest times of my life. But I want to tell you, it is while I came in that in the midst of my pain, God began to reveal to me my promise. Amen? Some of you need to understand that God is not against you, that God is for you. This caused her to no longer regard or respond to anything outside of what she felt. She would say things like well, most of us do. I know what I feel. She couldn't feel life anymore. She was imprisoned by her feelings, captivated by negative emotions. Don't you get tired of hanging around people negative all the time? Always a complaint, always wondering, always questioning, always just always problems, always drama. I don't know how people live in that kind of a life. I'm sure day after day, week after week, month after month, year after month, she wanted things to change. Of course she did. She wanted to see Israel live up to the nation that it was supposed to live up to. She knew the prophetic promises over Israel. She wanted things to change in her own family. She wanted to see God change the things that, the things in her own husband. And you know what? She wanted to see the home life change. She wanted to see the family change, the church life to change. She wanted everything to change. And things did change. But the problem was not to the good but to the bad. What happens when things, you come and commit something to prayer only to rise up instead of things getting better, they got worse? What's your attitude going to be and what's your belief system going to be at that time? Are you going to believe God? Are you going to believe the negative circumstances? Whose report are you going to believe when things get rock bottom? Instead of remaining the same without any change at all, they got worse and she lost hope and she thought promise was all over. I can tell you that there's a shakening that's taking place in America right now. 
And we cannot allow the tragedies, the circumstances, the situations that happen in these shakings to rob us of the promise that lies before us as a congregation. We cannot get caught up in the trap of judging things, not as they are, but by the way that we are. Can I have an amen? We cannot afford to allow false narratives to form in our minds due to negative happenings that exist in our lives and we form our opinion, opinions during current events that dictate to us a negative emotion. We have to think with the mind of faith. We have to have a renewed mind. That's why the Bible says that a, uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we gotta tra- have to have, have a transformed mind. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what's that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. I like what 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says. We have to cast down every imagination and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That when a thought comes to me that's contrary to what God's spoken of me, I got to crucify that thought and I got to allow what God has spoken to me to be the thing that I decree and declare over my life and not what the voice is speaking to me out there in the negative. Can I have an amen? We have to form our opinions and our perceptions not on what seems to appear, but on the spoken evidences of God's word. We form our perceptions, not what seems to appear, but on the prophetic promises that God has hanged over us as a congregation. Folks, do you know how many prophecies that God has given this church? Believe in them. Embrace them. Declare them. Speak them. Live them. Can I have an amen? We have to proclaim what God has already predicted. We have to declare what God has already decreed. Amen? This woman cursed her own son twice in scripture it says, and she called, she called his name Ichabod. The next thing that we see is she died. Why did she die? She died of a broken heart, of a wounded spirit. She just lost the will to live. You would think that a newborn baby would give her and inspire her life, but it didn't because she couldn't even regard him. She couldn't even accept him as a blessing from God. And not only did she die, but she cursed the next generation. And for the next 20 years, Israel lived by believing that the glory of God had departed from them. Think about this. God's glory did not depart from them, folks. You say, well, yes, it did. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. Yeah, it was stolen. The Philistines took it and they put it in the temple of Dagon. And when they did, the image of Dagon fell and broke into pieces. And they got scared to death and they hauled it back to Israel. And it sat there seven months to try to get it back. And when they got it back, guess what? It lay dormant for 20 years in the land. Instead of Ichabod's generation living in the glory of God, they lived as if the glory had departed. They lived with no glory, not because it had lifted off of them, but because of their belief. They bought into a false narrative that caused them to believe a lie and it formed in them a wrong perception. And it was the belief that they held that formed the opinion that the glory of God had departed when in reality it was staring them in the face. They lived what they believed. Whatever you believe, you'll live out. If you believe you're cursed, you'll live out your curse. Amen? The very thing that Job feared and believed came upon him. Amen? 
Now we have a nation living without the glory of God for 20 years while it was in the, right there in their midst the whole time. The evidence came when the negative was removed. Are you listening? The birth came in the midst of barrenness, not from the absence of barrenness. Usually when you get to your rock bottom, you better look up because the only way that you're going is up because you're at your rock bottom. Amen. Sometimes God has to deplete you in order to exalt you. You have to die in order for you to live. Amen. We cannot allow the forces of circumstance to form in us the notion that God is done with us. Amen. Right in the middle of this woman's hurt, pain, and bitterness, he was birthing something new. We cannot allow the influence of trial to remove the truth from our lives. We cannot get so poisoned by situations that we cannot recognize the birth of our pregnancy. We cannot get so wrapped up in what's going wrong that we can't see what's going right. We are just like the widow woman so much of the time in the church. We get so wrapped up in what seems to appear that God isn't doing that we can't see anything that he is doing. Too many Christians are dying wounded with wounded emotions of a broken heart and of a bitter spirit, a bitter spirit while promise and while glory stares them in the face. God help us. I'm going to be closing in just a moment. You may be tired without strength and if you're not careful, you can't believe in any promise anymore for your life. You will believe that promise is always for someone else, but it's never for you. No matter what these last days are going to dish out, no matter what's coming by the last day shakening, no matter how much our world is rocked, don't curse your promise. Embrace the promise instead of the pain. Don't allow the pain form your perception, but let your perception come out of your promise. Let it come from the word of God. You have to believe in the present promise and not allow your pain to experience the pain you experienced to kill the promise inside of you. Don't form opinions by what you feel and experience, but by what has been declared and decreed over your life as a believer. Are you a believer? Are you a child of God? Do you know that God loves you? Then quit cursing your promise. Hallelujah. Start living out your belief in the midst of your pain. And that will cause you to bring about the thing that you believe because what you believe will come to pass as you walk it out in faith. The ark brought cursing to the Philistines seven months. They tried to get rid of it, brought it back, and it lay dormant there for 20 years until David went after it. It lays dormant because the people had the mindset the glory of God has departed. It only departed in thought, but not in reality. It was among Israel the whole time. For 20 years, the people lived with no glory, all because of their mindset and their belief. They believed that which was spoken over them that formed a mindset out of a negative circumstance. Instead of believing the manifestation that was birthed in them through that son. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God is for you and not against you? If God be for you, who possibly can be against you? Do you believe you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Do you? Do you really believe that God loves you and that God would never leave you nor forsake you? Do you really believe that God is working on far more greater work in thee than what you can ever imagine? 
Do you believe uh, Jeremiah 29 and 11? For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future and an expected end. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that God's got a good future for you? Then why are you living around as if your world is gone and that there's no hopeful future? It's because you've allowed the pain that you have acquired right here in your life to pleat you of the promise that God has spoken over you. Here we are preaching the theme presence, presence, presence. And I want you to understand you'll not have presence until you can believe that the presence of God is with you, among you, in you, always will be with you. He'll never leave you. He never wants to turn from giving you good things. He's a God that is right there beside you in your failure. He is still faithful in your sin. He still loves you. In your brokenness, he's there to mend you. In your sickness, he's the great physician. Whatever you need God to be, he's there. He will not leave you. Do not curse your promise. Would you stand with me, please? We can't go on with presence until we get a mindset that God's with us. Right now, as I speak to you, with spiritual speaking, you got to hear with spiritual ears and hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. The ark of the covenant is with you. The covenant of Jesus Christ. He's here in our midst. Where two or three are gathered together in his name. He's in the middle of us. Amen. God inhabits the praises of his people. He's here then why can't you receive from him today instead of walling around in pity and hurt and bitterness and brokenness, worry and fret and depression and oppression and falling apart? You say, well, you're not living where I'm living. I may not be living where you're living, but you're living with the same God that I'm living with. Amen. He's with you as the same as he's with me. And no matter what set of circumstances you have, you've got to speak the things he's declared over you instead of what the world's speaking to you. Take hold of this thing. If you got sin in your life, he may be bringing judgment. He may be depleting you so that he can correct you to where you can be saved because he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. I don't know what all this little widow woman went through, but I know one thing. She made a horrible mistake. Because of one thing that she spoke over a child caused a whole nation to live without the glory of God for 20 years. And if we're not careful, the things that we say in the confinements of our own home with our children listening, standing by and hearing, by our actions and attitude, we curse them to where they can't believe in anything future because of the negatives that we speak out of our own mouths. And our children are cursed. And they live without the glory of God in their lives by the happenings and the dramas that we present before them with our own speech and our own language and our own behavior because we can't believe and have a life of temperance and self-control in the midst of trial because we curse our promise and we can't believe any longer that God is truly with us as believers. Lord, I don't want that for my children. 
I speak every night over my children in prayer the positive. When I'm around them, I try to declare the things God's spoken. Benjamin is the strength of my right hand. Jonathan is my beloved. Samuel is my ast of God. Hallelujah. And I speak anointing, prosperity, blessings, favor, health, healing, wholeness. Their marriage shall succeed and not fail. Their children shall be godly and not evil. Come on. I speak that as not, maybe that may not be what's being manifested right now, but I want to tell you in every in every one of those circumstances, there may be sickness there. There may be an unruly child there. there may, I don't care what is dictating with negative emotions. I declare what the Lord of the Lord has spoken and I will not curse my promise. The power of life and death lies in the tongue. There are people that are so caught up in the past. Just one hurt right after another, one trial right after another. They put one foot forward and boom, something negative hits them. I want you to know something. Sometimes God has to remove the negatives in your life in order for the positive to be birthed. Let the process, all things, not some things. All things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are they called according to his purpose. You believe that? Not some things, all things. Say all things with me. Work together for the good. God knows where you're at. Now start declaring. If you're sick, start declaring healing, health. You got an unruly child that's driving you crazy, you start prophesying over that child. You start speaking the word of God over that child. Come on, somebody help me preach. Come on now. You got situations, you got an unsafe spouse. Don't ridicule them. Don't browbeat them. Don't bless them and bless them out and preach to them all the time. Start, just start declaring the word of the Lord over them. Hallelujah. You shall be saved and not lost. You shall be birthed into the kingdom and not and not be lost. You're coming in whether you know it or not. Hallelujah. And I pray over you, your salvation. Come on, start speaking those things that are not as though they were. This morning, if you're here in hurt and pain, you got the situation that's just totally overwhelmed you. I understand the pain of it. Just like this little widow woman had to have some other women to grab a hold of her and help her. There's times we need that help. But the only problem is she wouldn't receive their help. This morning, I do not want you to bury your problem so deep that you won't allow us to help you in your dilemma. Randy West makes a statement that I've used over and over and over. Other people have used it over and over and over. Just the other day I heard Terry Fine use it. And that is when it comes to marital counseling, he always tells the people that come in, don't wait till the house is completely burnt down and all we have is ashes when the first minute that you smell smoke come. Amen? But maybe your house is burnt down and it has nothing but ashes. I'm telling you, your life is still not over. If you're a believer and you love the Lord, God is working it for more in you, an eternal weight of glory that you cannot see as of yet. And he's bringing something out of that, that, that hurtful situation to life through a new birth. Grab a hold of what he's birthing and let go of the past that you have experienced and the pain that you've acquired in your life. Today, God wants to help some people out of tragedy.
to where they can be triumphant in Christ. This morning, if you're here and you're going through a heavy load and you feel like that no one cares, you feel alone, you're fighting, you're warring, you're tired, and you have the pains of you feel like God wants to do nothing, but you just can't see it, you can't feel it. All it is is the, the anguish, the pain of it. There's no joy to it. I want you to come up here. We're going to help you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to be them midwives that's going to say, Honey, or sir, we're going to push you through your problems. We're going to push you through your pain. Hallelujah. Is there any others? Folks, this whole house is full of people that's hurting right now. They need to understand you're not alone. You need some people to gather around you to help you pray. You need some strength in your life. God didn't have me to preach this in vain. Thank you, sweetheart. Can I have some ladies? Wrap your arms around her and just love her. Oh, the Lord's going to minister to her so greatly today. Is there any others? Folks, be real with God here this morning. You got you to turn it over to the Lord and you got to trust him. Don't bury it. Don't ignore it. Don't sit there and say, well, it's for everybody else, but it's not for me. Don't let the pain that you feel not even allow you to respond to truth, to the spoken word of God that is declared blessing over your life. Be open this morning. Can I have some altar workers, please? All of you staff, leaders. Is there any others? Little by little, they're coming. As these families come, you don't have to pry into their situation. Just grab around them and love them and pray for them. Lift their hands up with faith and confidence and assurance. Speak faith into their lives. No matter how bad their situation is, don't matter what's going on in their life, God loves them. Hallelujah. This altar is open for anybody that wants to come. We're going to let John lead us in some worship. And I want you to pray just for a moment before we dismiss. Give these time for these people and the people in the audience to respond to the word of the Lord this morning. God bless you.